0: Okay, so sometimes God says really crazy things, and uh, this is not what I would normally do at all. In certain churches of certain traditions, when a gospel reading is given, everyone stands because this is the gospel of Christ. Can we stand, please? (laughs) I I did nearly wear a suit today as well, but you know, that's fine. (laughs) story for you. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together everything he had and set off for a distant country where he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, There was a severe famine that affected every corner of that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating but no one gave him anything. After a while, he came to his senses and said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So having decided what to do, he got up and went back to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and now is alive again. He was lost and is now found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the oldest son had been in the fields. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked what was going on. Your brother's come home, the servant replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in and join the party. Instead, his father went out and pleaded with him. He answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said... You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is now alive. He was lost and is now found. This is the word of the Lord. And all you Anglicans can now sit down. (laughs) I don't, I genuinely, I wouldn't normally get people to stand up, but during that last bit of worship, it came so strong. So I want you all just to take a moment now. If you enjoy nothing else or get nothing else out of this sermon, you have heard the words of Jesus, and that's a pretty good morning. Everybody who's been a Christian for any number of years whatsoever has probably heard that passage read. Probably read it for yourselves. You've probably even heard it preached on. So I'm not going to preach on the passage particularly. I think there are really two things God wants to tell us today. And I've no idea how long this is going to take. I just know that this is really, really important for some people, if not for all of us. So the first bit is we need to think about the story. In this story, there are two sons. Two. Okay? Don't forget, there are two sons, and both of them think they know their father. Both of them think they know their father. Okay? The first son, he thinks that his father treats him like a servant. The second son thinks his father treats him like a slave. Neither son is correct. Both sons have assumptions about who their father says they are. And these sons both relate to their father based on the foundation of what they think they know of their father. So the first son goes to his father and he says... I think I deserve my pay. Pay me. I deserve half. And the father does. The second son, well, he is exactly the same with the father. I mean, thank goodness for Tim Keller, who completely re undid this passage again so everyone could reread it. If you ever get the chance to read Tim Keller's Prodigal God, read it. It's really, really, really good. However, This isn't that sermon. I just thought I'd point that out. The second son also relates to his father. He refuses to come into the party because he says, I have slaved for you my whole life. Now, please take a second for a son to say to their father, you've treated me like a slave is really not good. (laughs) The father, however, in this story, proves to both sons he is absolutely not the person that they're assuming he is. See, the father, first of all, divides his property when he is told, you've treated me like a servant, I want to be paid. And he responds and says, okay, that's fine. You can be free. And then when the son comes back, it says he has compassion on the son. He sees him from afar and has compassion. Now, that word this morning about fatherhood, I know I'm I'm an okay father. My heart breaks for my children when I look at them. I can't imagine what it's like to see your son coming back after that time. But the father sees his son from afar, has compassion, and when he gets there, he says, dress him in a robe. He is my son, he's not a servant. He is my son, not a servant. And we'll celebrate that he's back, because he's found and he was lost and blah-de-blah. The other son says, you've treated me like a slave, and the father says to him, You are my son. You could have had anything you wanted at any time. All you had to do was ask. See, these children, and for those of you that aren't sons in this room, please understand this passage talks about sons. It means all of us as inheritors, as children of God. These boys in this passage had an assumption about their father, my father is this. And then their actions were defined by how they saw their father. The first son saw their father as somebody who treated him like a servant, so therefore his actions were to ask for the pay. Not to ask my father to give me some time off or to let me do stuff. The second son saw his father treating him like a slave, and his first action was to say, you gave me nothing. It's unfair. And the father's response was to say, you're not a slave. At no point do we see in this passage that the father treated them as they assumed he treated them. Now, this will not be a surprise to any of you. We are like the sons... And God is the Father. I know, shocking theology we're having this morning, isn't it? Those of you, you know, those years in college, they were worth it. (laughs) We are like the sons. We're no different. I mean, for our own parents, we have assumptions. I mean, I can give you an example of it. When Sophie and I were first together, before we were married, Sophie got pregnant. Okay? Our son is Peter. We love him very much. He was never an accident. He was just a surprise. We love him deeply. And I remember, my mum, me saying this, I remember the day I had to tell my mum, I've got my girlfriend pregnant. Now, I thought my mum would say, What? Idiot. Frankly, because that's how I saw myself, what my mum actually said was, I love you, what are we going to do? Any number of us, and I will call you to your face a liar if you don't agree with me on this, (laughs) has assumptions about our parents that are just not true and at some point have probably been proved to be wrong. Our parents are so much better than we think they are when they're teenagers, when we're teenagers. You know that saying that says, you know, it's amazing how much my parents have learned since I grew up. <laughs> this thing about assuming you know who your parents are and what they're thinking is not an unusual thing. That's why this story has lasted as long as it has as long as it has. And of course, our assumptions of God are often driven by our experience with our parents. I mean, for me, my father died when I was a teenager. Is it a surprise I've struggled with God as father? Because my father wasn't there. And it wasn't anybody's fault, but that is what defines the way one one sees the world and God. I mean, are you all with me on that? So if you say, God couldn't love me because I am a rat bag, and I know there are people in this room who think a bit like that, is it any surprise if you try and do it by works to prove to God that you're worth loving? Of course it's not. It's just driven by experience. If we think that we are sinful, awful people who, do you know, we are shamed by our sin... Is it any surprise that we think God would be ashamed of us? But you see, God is not like our assumptions. Yeah, thank God. (laughs) God is our Father. He acts by grace. He is very different from our assumptions. And actually, our relation with God should take place according to our faith, not our assumptions. Because we do have a source which tells us what God is actually like. And he's misinterpreted time and time again by the media and by people in the media who say, well, the God of the Bible is full of judgment, he's full of hate, he's full of, dis." you know, that whole thing about God hates fags. It's rubbish. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. And yet the whole world is defined by that understanding of God because somebody says it. And so what happens is sometimes we become afraid to go to the Bible to look in case we find a God we don't like. Let me tell you, look in the Bible. There are parts of God in the Bible and I see Father God in the Bible that I find baffling. But I trust because my relationship with God has to be based on faith. And one of the things we have to do as we grow as Christians, and if you ever come before Christ yourself and become a Christian, is we have to make a sacrifice. And the sacrifice we make is not our intelligence. I just want to say something to you, okay? If Jesus didn't want people to use their brains, why did he speak in parables? That's a serious question. There are people who think that God doesn't want us to think. Why did God talk to us in stories and parables, which have been interpreted and reinterpreted and re understood and restated time and time and time again? It's because God created our brains. But what God wants us to do is to connect to Him through faith and relationship so that we can understand the truth. And so this isn't just a story about sons and fathers and it's not just a story about one son is lost and God welcomes him back and therefore do whatever you like and God will welcome you back and it's not just a story about the religious son who was a terrible rat bag because he did everything by works and so he learnt... It's not all of that stuff. They're all great interpretations of this. What this is, is God speaking to us and the reason we should stand sometimes just occasionally and listen to this is this is Jesus speaking. And Jesus speaking to us over 2,000 years for interpretation, understanding, reinterpretation, reinterpretation. And the central message of this is always and has always been, we are the sons. God is the father. Now, what does that mean? And in this time today, what I think that means is that all of us have assumptions about who God is. For some of us, we will see God sitting on a cloud, throwing thunderbolts down, saying, eh, I told you you got it wrong. Eh." Although that's not a very godly voice. It's not exactly James Mason, is it? For others, it will be, well, God doesn't see me, doesn't know me. Or God doesn't want to see me because I'm so awful, or you don't know what I did in the past, or you don't know what this person did in the past, and God is, and that will affect the way we see God. This is the truth. God is the God of the Bible. And I can point you to some really simple verses that will tell you who God is. Thank you, David. God is loving. Okay, it says in 1 John 3:1, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. God doesn't only love us, He loves us to welcome us as children. You are not a servant of God or a slave of God. You are a child of God. Now, that doesn't mean you don't serve, and it doesn't mean you don't work hard. I remember I did a meeting. I used to be in a charity, in a youth charity, and I I used to help lead a youth charity. And I did a meeting once, and I was sitting there talking to one of the volunteers, and I said, you need to be the servant of all. And one of the volunteers, who wasn't a Christian, said, what? I don't want to be someone's servant. They'll treat me like... I won't go that down line. That was effectively what they said. That is not a service. That is the servant that the son saw himself as. That is not how God sees us. God sees us as those who serve out of love. Not to earn a wage. You can't earn your way into heaven. You can't earn your way into happiness. You can't earn your way into salvation. It's a gift. God is love. And the love of God is that which brings us back to God as children second god is kind ephesians god shows the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in christ jesus for it is by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves it is a gift of god god's kind we underestimate kindness it is one of the fruit of the spirit it's compa- this Psalm 103 works hard, the next one, because God is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and full of love. And it won't surprise you to know that the verse says, The Lord is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love. <laughs> and we can carry on with these verses God is faithful, God is good, God is merciful, God is forgiving, faithful, and just. God is a reliable refuge. He is powerful. It says in 1 Chronicles, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everyone in heaven and earth is yours. God is a helper and an upholder, and God is sovereign. And if you want those verses, I'll put them somewhere. We'll work it out. I'll get to Gareth and they'll go somewhere. But you see, our assumptions about who God is are often based on our insecurities, our fears and our past. And I am not ever going to denigrate that because what you have been through, who you are, who you have been shaped into by the world, by your life, by your experience, that is who you are but he is not who God has you to be. God has called you to be a child of his. And so what we need to do, and it is a conscious decision most of the time, it is for me, I don't know about everybody else, I know it is for me. When I feel, oh God, you are so mmm. Hold on, the Bible says you are mmm. God help. Does that make sense? I mean, I've said nothing in that whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Help. Wow. You're getting it deep today. (sighs) So going forward, this is what we need to understand, okay? These sons... They had an understanding of God. God didn't fulfil father, sorry, didn't fulfil that understanding. There is no way that these sons can become what they are supposed to be if they don't have a right understanding of their father. So if their understanding of their father is that you treat me like a servant, you treat me like a slave, they won't ever treat other people unless they are treating them like servants or slaves. Yes? Yes? But their father didn't treat them like that. Their father treated them like sons, children, welcomed them, embraced them, gave them everything they needed. So it goes to, it goes to finish off, to th- it follows through that therefore, if they know their father are shaped by who their father is, because they are children of their father, they will express their father's heart. It's an inheritance. There is nothing worse as a parent than when your children start to show those things in you that really aren't very nice. (laughs) None of you have had that, I'm sure. But it's such a joy when your children show grace and love and you think, they learned that from me. Well, probably from Sophie, if we're honest. So going forward, we need to understand this. If we are like the sons and if God is like the father... If we actually know the Father, our Father in heaven, God, properly, and we understand him by faith, then the next step is that we start to express Father's heart. And we see that heart in this passage. And I love it. I mean, it is just mind-blowing. Because I am so not like this by nature, and so trying to learn to be like it by faith. You see, the father is sitting working, doing his normal day-to-day stuff, and he sees out the window, right on the horizon, the moping look of his two-nosed son. Because that's how son looks. sons <laughs> Sees the son coming towards him. You know, you recognise, the people you really love, you can tell them from such a long way away, just by the way they move. The father loves his son, and he sees him from a distance. And he doesn't wait for his son to come to him and say, Dad, you are right. He runs to his son, and he embraces his son, and he disturbs his son's speech. See, a good father does listen to their children, and he does listen to his child, and his son does start to say, Father, I have sinned against you, and I have sinned against God, and I should be treated, I want to be one of your servants, and his father says, stop. That is is not you. You are my child. And I will dress you as my child. And I will welcome you as my child. The passage says, lavishly. It's a lavish celebration. You are back. You were lost and now you're found. And with the other son, the father says, stop. You could have had anything you wanted. Now come and join the party. Your brother is home. You see, when we listen to by faith and accept who God is and we live by that, we start to express that. So what are we supposed to do? Well, there's two very simple things here. First of all, If you don't know who God is and you've never met him, and your understanding of God is that God is this distant thing or God is just like the priest I had in my village or God is this or that or the other, I want you to know God is your father. He loves you. And if you want to know more about your father God, then come and talk to us and we'll tell you all about him. And we will pray for you. And we will pray that his spirit touches you so you meet him. But the second thing is, for most people here, you are sons and daughters of the king. What do you do when you see somebody walk even slightly towards the king? We need to run out. We need to love people lavishly. Now, I'm British, we like to keep our expectations, our expressions, quite restrained. If I say, you know, you're all right, that means I really, really love you. (laughs) But if you're on the other end of that and you hear me say, you're all right, it might mean that you think, eh, not sure he likes me very much, really. We have to relearn. We have to learn to be like our Father. And how does our Father greet those who are lost? How does Father God t- greet those who are lost? My goodness me. Be more like Him, not me. Be more like Him, not British. Don't count what nationality you are, doesn't matter what your background is, doesn't matter what your experience is. The Father, the God, Who we've described in those passages is the God we follow and worship. That's who we are supposed to be like. So I'm supposed to be loving and kind and compassionate and gracious and slow to anger. and Slow to anger, that'd be good. Full of love, faithful, good, merciful, forgiving, reliable, powerful, a helper, upholder. I am supposed to be an expression of the sovereignty of God where if I don't cry out in worship, even the rocks will cry out in worship of him. I'll cry out in worship first, although I have to say I would quite like to see the rocks do it, if I'm honest. (laughs) See, I think if you take nothing else from this other than the, uh, uh, help, take this. Love lavishly because your father loves you lavishly. Now, I'm bringing this into land, so don't worry. Can we have the last slide up, please, David? This is the theme of the sermon. I know it's taken me the whole sermon to come to it. But you see, is there anyone else like me who there are some people who you get a phone call from and it rings and you think, I don't want to talk to them. Is there anyone brave enough brave enough to admit that when Jesus speaks you think I'm not sure I really want to hear that it's going to hurt anyone here I'm I'm so glad some people care enough about me to actually admit that that's true see Jesus is calling Jesus father god holy spirit one god Jesus is calling for some people here I have no doubt whatsoever, during this service, God has spoken and hinted at you. And you, You're sitting there thinking, well, you know, I'm just in this service. It's a bit like that, isn't it? No, God has said to you, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. You need to answer the phone. But for others of us, we go through our day-to-day lives and we think that God sees us in the way we see ourselves. And for some people... God does see you the way you see yourself because you see yourself as a child of God, full of grace and joy and kindness. But all of us at some times, all of us, we sit there and we think, I've done it again, Lord. I'm no good. I'm useless. I'm pathetic. Why would anybody possibly want... Stop. The reason Jesus is phoning you is not to tell you what a rat bag you are. It's to tell you, you are my child. And in you, I am well pleased. You are my child. And when I see you walking from a distance, I just want to run to you and embrace you. And let's party and have fun. And let's work together. Let's live together. Let's life together. So this is, I think, the response. Because we do need a response. And it's really simple. If you feel able to, just close your eyes. Put your hands on your knees or next to you in front of you. Just open them so you're not fiddling. Just close your eyes. And I'm just going to invite Holy Spirit to come. Because I know nothing to say. Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, speak because we're listening. I get a sense of, for some people here, this is such an opportunity to just sit there and enjoy God's presence. If you are not feeling guilty or shamed, that's a good thing. Just enjoy it. Please rest in God's presence. For others, there are all sorts of contradictory thoughts and dark shadows in your brain. They're saying, yeah, but can he really love you? Because you know what you're like in private. You know what you're like when no one's looking. Let me tell you, your father knows what you're like. And he's still calling. And for others, I pray healing in Jesus' name. Of the past hurts. Of the parents who have told you that you're rubbish. You are not. Of the fears that have told you you can't do stuff. In God's power you can. And the sense that it all has to happen now. It doesn't. There is time. God is not a harsh master. He is your father and he gives you time. Holy Spirit, root in our hearts, we pray, the things you want us to know and the rest we just give to you and ask you to take it away. Fill us with your spirit. Amen.